umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we get to talk about something that hasn't happened for several weeks now. Michigan won 48 to 42 beating Rutgers in a triple overtime thriller. Definitely had some scary times, uh, but boy, it's, it's sure good to uh, be talking about a win no matter how it happened. So, Clint, how'd you feel about that game? Well, I, I was kind of braced for uh, a stressful night. Uh, you know, I, I had a feeling that there was going to be a lot to, uh, to grind your teeth about in that game, so I, I felt a little bit more prepared for it than I had been in the previous weeks. Um, but it, it ended up pretty close to what I had imagined <clears throat> with a six-point victory and uh, with a lot of kind of white knuckling through the, the second half, third, fourth quarters, and then it didn't predict overtime, but the, you know that's uh, that would be way out there. So it, it went about as, as I had envisioned. Um, you know that that Rutgers team is definitely a one notch better than they have been in recent history. Um, and, and obviously we know Michigan is not uh, this is not one of Michigan's better teams uh, in the Harbaugh era, of course. so, it went uh, as, as I thought, and I was um, pleasantly surprised that Michigan was able to make the important plays uh, to win the game because there was a there was a moment there um, coming down the stretch where it looked like it, it wasn't going to happen, um, where where we needed just one play and one stop on that final uh, defensive drive, uh, where Rutgers tied it up and got the uh, the two point conversion to tie it up. And there was there was definitely some doom and gloom trying to trying to creep in at that moment. So um, it was it was I'm glad that we had some some Michigan Wolverines step up and, and make plays when they needed to, because that's been it's been the biggest thing lacking uh, this year. Um, and it's nice to start gaining that experience with with some younger guys. Well, and, you know, things started off. One of the, the big concerns heading into the game is that Michigan was without tackles Jalen Mayfield and Ryan Hayes again. And added to the mix, they uh, also were, th- were without Andrew Vistardis. So for those keeping track at home, Michigan had uh, lost three starters off of the offensive line and had to reshuffle things around, had to bring Zach Carpenter in, and, and uh, definitely, you know, Whenever, whenever you have a new center coming in, that adds some drama. Um, I wonder how much of that first half performance was due to the offensive line trying to find a new rhythm and, and gelling together. But definitely was uh, the tale of two halves. Um, that first half was incredibly frustrating. You know, I, I think we saw a team in Rutgers that definitely knew that this was an opportunity to make a national statement. Michigan came in reeling after uh, losing the last several games, and and Rutgers was in it to win it. I mean, at first, you know, I, I know that people were frustrated that it took Michigan going triple overtime to win, but I think you need to give credit to uh, Rutgers. They definitely had a good game plan. They definitely knew where to attack. I'm sure that there are some Rutgers fans out there who are questioning why they didn't throw downfield a little bit more in the second half. I'm glad that they didn't. And, uh, you know, just, 
you know, after they scored their second touchdown and, and went for the onside kick, they were definitely ready for this game. They were up, and uh, all the credit in the world for uh, Greg Schiano going to Rutgers and really um, resurrecting that program from uh, from doormat status. Going to be a lot of good things, and they're con- they're going to continue to be a tough opponent moving forward. I was glad to see Michigan pull this one out, um, and I think uh, we also have to mention you know the big difference between um, you know. Joe Milton and quarterback, and Cade McNamara. Although, I have to say, when I broke the tape down, I, I felt a little bad for Joe Milton. He, I don't think he looked as bad as, uh, as, the, as the commentary and the fan base thought he was. He definitely missed, you know, the offense definitely misfired, and it definitely sparked up when uh, Cade went in. But Joe, uh, Joe had some good throws downfield. Just things didn't work out again, and that seems to be a reoccurring theme. The offense seems to be out of sync uh, when when he's when he's been heading it lately. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There was he got off to a really solid start. Um, I, I think he started four for four, but uh, at one point was definitely four for six, and then I think he ended up five for twelve. Um, before the switch happened, so so that would mean, you know, that he was one for one for six <clears throat> in terms of completions, and it was a bad streak. And then it actually ended. His last snap was a, a play that he got sacked and didn't have a chance, where where the center did not pick up a, a stunt, where a defensive end came came right up the middle and touched their leading tackler, um, and, and and sacked Joe Milton, and that was the last play. But um, Cade McNamara comes in and to his his second snap again is uh is a long touchdown pass with a really nice double move set up well by some uh, some of the play calls previously and Cornelius Johnson finds himself all alone and and Cade McNamara hit him in stride and, and scores a touchdown so you can't you can't argue with the difference in results you know last week Cade McNamara came in made three really nice downfield passes and, and there was kind of a, a small sample size argument to that but Cade McNamara this week came in in the second quarter you could kind of compare the first half to the second half and and the data would be pretty clear in terms of which you know which quarterback was leading a successful offense and then overtime on top of it as well so I think um, I think it was pretty clear that he really stepped forward and tightened his grasp on the starters role I, I, I was telling somebody else that anything can happen but um, this seems like a pretty clear-cut case um, that Cade McNamara is really stepping into to seize the opportunity. Um, but I agree that it's not necessarily that Joe Milton is 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 bad. Uh, I think that there's still um, there, there's some some NFL arm talent for sure in Joe Milton. Um, but whatever it is with his timing or rhythm. Or, or however it is that uh, he is affecting the execution, um, they just do not look in sync when when he's uh, calling the plays. One of the things that Cade said after the game is that the Michigan offense caught its swagger, right? And there's definitely that kind of attitude that he brings to the huddle. You know, it, it's interesting. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. We don't know how the, uh, you know, Harbaugh was was uh, grilled a little bit on, 
how exactly he selected Joe Milton to start the game when by all appearances in real time and, and looking at the stats, Cade definitely dominated and, and brought the team back and, and, you know, resuscitated the season, I think is, is pretty safe to say, you know, again, 27 for 36, 260 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's a pretty dominant performance by a quarterback. All the more interesting that, you know, all the preseason talk was McCaffrey or Milton, right? And, you know, McCaffrey decided to, to not play this season and transfer. And we were hearing great things about Joe and, you know, occasionally have seen really good flashes. But Cade came in last night, and, and I, again, we need to keep it in perspective. Um, Rutgers is not going to win the Big Ten championship. They're not going to go to the college football playoffs. But when you're on a skid, you, you take whatever win you can, and one of the highlights was how great Cade McNamara looked. Um, you know, in addition, we also had, you know, Hassan Hoskins basically grab hold of the running back position. And, you know, we've talked about it in the podcast previously that I was thinking that, you know, I wanted to see somebody get the bulk of the reps. He would have been my pick. And again, 22 carries, 110 yards, one touchdown. Uh, those aren't bad stats. And now uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, another guy who's basically, you know, elevated Cornelius Johnson's five catches for 105 yards, two touchdowns. That's not bad either. So it's interesting to see the offense uh, find its swagger, shall we say. Like, there were times that the offense looked really good. You know, one of the things I felt really good about is that considering you have three new starters on the offensive line, the offensive line actually looked pretty decent at times during the second half. Now, you have to keep it in perspective that it is Rutgers, but again, you know, you there were a lot of good things to see offensively, I think. Um, you know, what did you think about the overall look of, of the offense? And, again, looking at the stats, Michigan uh, just three year, three yards short of 500. Um, you know, they added a few extra yards due to the, the triple overtime. But still, 497 yards offense is, is nothing to, uh, to sneeze at, especially considering how things have gone the last several games. Right, and, and last night after the game, I posted the the five factors metrics, and, and said, you know, forty seven percent success rate on offense, and five point four yards per play. I mean, that's not a, you know, they they didn't paste Rutgers by any any sense of the imagination, but that's kind of an average, normal, you know, statistical profile. So I was interested um, to to look back at. at you know, what that would compare to, to maybe a game that we could compare it to. So we'll, we'll play that game in a second. But I, I agree. Um, when I posted the numbers at halftime, Rutgers had an edge in all five factors, um, which was, you know, just it was a, it was kind of being kicked while I was down already um, to, to look at it a, a little bit deeper and see that, no, there's no like no weird, crazy thing. This is just getting beat from top to bottom by the other team. And that you know, again, started to kind of creep in to, uh, to my fan psyche. And the second half was so much different that, that Michigan ended up um, kind of getting an edge, at least a small edge, or pulling even in, in three of the, the five factors. So there was really 
quite a comeback, both on the scoreboard and even when you kind of start digging into the analytics. So I did find a game um, from last season, the 2019 season, where offensively the the profiles look very, very similar. Uh, I'll just give you one quick guess. Which which game? It, it's a game that Michigan won last year. Uh, which game do you think that compares to this game? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I'm completely blanking. Uh yeah, which one, Clint? <laughs> it's at at Maryland last year. At Maryland last year, even even with the Giles Jackson kick return, it's a it's another um, similarity. But the uh, last night against Rutgers, Michigan's offense had a forty seven percent success rate. That's the biggest difference between the two games. Last year against uh, Maryland, they had a forty nine percent success rate. That's the biggest difference. Uh, yards per play, five point four. Yesterday, last year against Maryland, exactly that, 5.4. ISO points per play, right, which is an explosive metric, means on your your successful plays, how big are they? Last night, 0.79. Last year against Maryland, 0.72. I mean, (laughs) not like uh, directionally you're kind of, eh, if you look at it closely, no, no, no. They're almost exactly the same profile, so... You know, and that game, that team last year, um, Maryland, yeah, that seems about right. It seems like Rutgers might have moved up a notch off of the bottom of the Big Ten East and, and um, you know, kind of to that next rung, so to speak. So offensively, I think we're seeing at least, at least uh, they're in the same ballpark as they were last year performance-wise when you kind of lift up the hood, especially when you consider – that you had two offensive line starters last night, and, and your best, um, your best lineman is one of those guys that you're out, right? So, and to replace again to replace Mayfield at tackle, you bump Stuber out to right tackle, which means that four of your five guys are are out of position, so to speak. So, um, I, I thought that that was pretty remarkable. I remember thinking that that Maryland game was kind of a snoozer, but ended up being basically average offensively. So um, given all the different moving parts, I thought uh, it was interesting to find something that was so comparable to last season. And that was the ninth game of the year um, last year. That was that was not at the beginning of the season when they were struggling. That was – and they, they got into sync at different times, but there were, there were parts of that game that just were out of sync. So a lot of similarities – um, still some room to grow, especially up front on that young offensive line. It was nice to see Haskins kind of get rolling. I think Charbonnet runs well also still. I, I don't. It seems to me like they don't block as well on, on plays that Charbonnet is in for. I, I'm sure that that's some manner of coincidence or maybe the type of plays that they run with Charbonnet, but it seems like he's getting hit in the backfield early. But I like the way he finishes runs. I wish Blake Corum, I like his explosiveness going through the hole, but um, he finishes too many runs heading sideways trying to break it outside, and that's uh, that's kind of a young freshman kind of thing. You know, dig forward like Haskins does, get the extra two to three yards, and I think Blake Corum would be fine, but it is nice to see Haskins giving the ball and uh, kind of shouldering more of the workload because he deserves it, and he was great last night too. So – Lots of credit goes to Cade McNamara at quarterback. 
But I will tell you, the play that really ignited the team, in my opinion, in the second half was that amazing kick return by Giles Jackson. And what's interesting is, you know, when you're watching the game as a fan, you know, I, I'm, I'm telling myself, gosh, we just we need a huge special teams play. We need something. We need something, right? You need something just to kind of to kind of just explode. And that kick was that kick return was just amazing. Ninety five yards. I mean, I think it was definitely the uh, the tonic for uh, pushing the momentum Michigan's way, and definitely uh, you know started the second half the second half off with a bang, and and you know things were off and running. So uh, you know lots of credit to Giles Jackson, and uh, he definitely and I got to believe uh, he's going to be in the running for. A Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. He definitely was Michigan's Special Team Player uh, of the game, and get definitely a lot of credit to. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we talked about you know the overall venom of the fan base on Twitter, right? And at halftime, it was horrible. I mean, you're you're looking at the tweets and you're you're seeing people just being frustrated. And, you know, one of the thing, you know, one of the consistent themes was, oh, this team has given up and, and they don't care. And then you see, uh, you know, Giles Jackson just run and just bust it. And, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. You know, I understand why fans get upset. I get upset. I was disappointed. Um, you know, there were probably 10 or 15 times you could be really disappointed watching the game yesterday. But I know that the guys care. I know that the coaches care, and uh, it definitely buoyed my spirits uh, when I saw that kick return, and uh, definitely, you know, showed that that Michigan, uh, you know, you know what I'm hope. Well, Clint, here's a question for you. So we talk about a lot, um, you know, the uh, does is Michigan uh, a second half team? Do they come out and make adjustments? So my question to you is. Was the biggest difference yesterday halftime adjustments or was it just a question of Cade McNamara coming in and finding a groove on the offense, which technically started in the second quarter? I, I think that it's evenly split between the two. I think Cade McNamara was individually more accurate with his passes than Joe Milton yesterday. Joe Milton was off a little bit. There were some diving receivers um, in that string of incompletions that he had where when McNamara was in there, um, the balls were hitting the receivers in the chest and in the face uh, to where they could catch and still run. Um, you know, I think of that, uh, that last touchdown to uh, Cornelius Johnson on kind of just the, uh, the outside receiver screen, you know, and, and we've seen Milton be successful with that throw, um, but McNamara, you know, put it in front of the receiver, let him run, he got to make a move on the corner and, and went. So I, I think that there was a small bump in accuracy in terms of ball placement with McNamara. But with that said, what that does is is it forced Rutgers to defend the entire field from sideline to sideline and deep. You know, again, his second snap, they went deep uh, with to Cornelius Johnson behind the safety. So they kind of blew the top off the defense right away. And, and that kind of changed what Rutgers could do in terms of trying to bring uh, additional pressure. So that um, they kind of go hand in hand with his, his accuracy and his ability to put the ball, 
kind of keep the ball in play to his receivers down the field had to uh, had to change some of the tactics that Rutgers coaching staff did, which then freed up Josh Gaddis to to start finding some creases in the run game. So I, there were certainly some tweaks um, in the run game based on who was able to get some movement uh, up front on that offensive line. We saw um, some creases that even, like I said, Charbonnet and Corum hit him for two, three, and four yards, but it, it seemed like Haskins was maybe a little bit more patient and made maybe one additional change of direction in the hole and, and seemed to manage to get seven, eight, nine, ten yards uh, when he found those creases. So um, I, I think that there was certainly an adjustment win for the offensive staff. And w- when I look at defensively, which on the whole is a whole a whole nother problem compared to the offense, they are not on the same footing as as that, that Maryland game from last year, but um, they also improved in the second half, right? They, they gave up a 50% success rate to Rutgers in the second quarter, um, made a couple tweaks. And, and I think what happened from, from a very high level was similar to what we talked about a few weeks ago about just stopping the bleeding, um, utilizing some, some two deep safety zone coverages, um, and then tackle the guys in front of you. It, Rutgers passed for a lot of yards. You know, that was uh, their quarterback's uh, career best game by over 100 yards passing, you know. But they only got beat deep the one time in the first quarter, um, and, and Dax Hill was, was in position to make a play on the ball and just did not make a play there. So uh, I thought that they they, they softened um, their safeties a little bit. And, and when they did play man to man coverage, um, the cornerbacks were much better at staying, um, staying in phase with the receiver and avoiding any big penalties. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, any major holding or pass interference calls in critical spots against the corners. And that alone is a huge, uh, improvement week over week. But, um, in the metrics, both the offense and the defense improved after halftime. And that that's good to see. That's good to see. One of the other things that I really like seeing on the offense, you mentioned about how Asan Hoskins saw uh, gaps and basically took advantage to, to get extra yardage. I love how he finished runs. There were several times where, he was spinning and driving and diving and, and realized exactly where he needed to get to to for the play to be successful, to get another yard. And, and um, I really think that uh, the same way that Cade McNamara has elevated himself and I think definitely should be the starting quarterback, I think uh, Hassan Hoskins should definitely be the featured back. Um, you know, nothing against the other guys. Um, you know, Zach Charbonnet had some nice blocks. And uh, Chris Evans had had a nice reception and, and ran once really well. But I, I really think that, uh, you know, we're seeing the kind of elevation that you would see normally after the non-conference schedule. And, of course, we don't have the luxury of the non-conference schedule in this abbreviated rebooted season. But that's the feel that I had watching the game last night is, that we're starting to see the guys who are who are grabbing positions, who are taking advantage of the opportunity. Um, 
one of you know you you talked about the defense and you know it's definitely time to talk about that. Um, you know I thought uh, Christopher Hinton uh, looked really good. He looked better than he had in almost any other game, and uh, you know it, you wonder if that's a guy um, finding uh, what he needed to do and uh, you know basically again seizing the opportunity. Um, I thought it was interesting that they moved Carlo Kemp out a little bit. Um, I thought Josh Ross, Josh Ross had a really great game. One of the things that, uh, you know, jumped out to me is the number of tackles that Dax Hill had, right? And, uh, again, Josh uh, Ross led the team with 11 and Dax had nine. But I'm always thinking, you know, when uh, when your safety is leading the team in tackles, that, that tells you something bad, right? Those are usually downfield. So, um that kind of uh, synced up with what I saw from the defense and my overall impression. So here's the weird thing, Clint. When I look at the offense, I look at, again, uh, an offensive line that's being built, rebuilt on the fly, okay? Understandably, looks a little rough. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to comment on, you know, where Michigan is win and loss-wise right now and what that means. Um, you know, we are where we are, and the only thing we have is the next game. We can talk about the last game and look forward to the next game, and you just want to, you know, you want to win as many as possible. But when I step away and I look at the offense, you know, you know, I, I mentioned this before. I take the name off the team, and I take the names off the players, and if you just said, well, Phil, here's a team that had high hopes, and halfway through the season, um, three of their offensive line starters are out and they've moved to their second string quarterback, right? That tells you a lot about how the season's going, right? Now, with that said, you know, I, I, I feel much better about the offense right now than I did two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, the only other game I felt good about the offense was Minnesota and we, and that, you know, the season opener. And we know that that doesn't hold a lot of currency right now. Um, we can talk about how much currency the Rutgers, you know, performance has, but man, it's better than the last three. So I feel better about the offense. I'm worried about the defense. And I think that, you know, um, you know, the offense has been, you know, overall with Josh Gaddis over the last, um, you know, since he came in, I think that it is a work in progress. You know, if you look at the arc over multiple seasons, um, I would, you know, would really be hoping that the defense would be more stout and be the strength of this team. And I know that's definitely what, um, you know, the hope was coming into the season. And uh, with Quiddy Pay being out and Aiden Hutchinson being out, um, definitely, uh, you know, it looks like Cam McGrone is out. Um, I, I, I have a much worse feeling about the defense right now than I do about the offense. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think number one, it starts with personnel at this point in the season. It, it wasn't that early in the season, um, but now you, you could argue that you're missing your four best players on defense with Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson. You know, probably day one NFL draft picks um, when they declare probably this coming NFL draft, um, and then you got to remember that circling back Ambry Thomas was supposed to be your lockdown corner or at least your leader in the defensive backfield 
going into the season and, and the, the strange cancellation and then reboot of the season cost you Ambry Thomas. So, and, and then McGrone goes down um, midway through the game. And like I said, you could argue that you're down your, your four best players that were on your two deep in, in August. With that said, right, the Don Brown's scheme isn't, uh, you know, the, the game hasn't evolved to a point that that scheme will not work. However, it puts a lot of pressure on individual players to make plays one-on-one against the other guys. It was, we, we kind of beat this horse to death three or four times in 2018 after uh, Ohio State really kind of shocked Michigan by showing that by having superior athletes in key spots in the slot against uh, Michigan's nickelback at the time, you could exploit that, you know, Michigan didn't get pressure and the the coverage couldn't hold up for that additional time. And, you know, the quarterbacks picked him apart. What's happening this year is we're seeing that every week because one-on-one, even the middle tier teams in the big 10 are equal or better talent wise to, to Michigan. And to me still the worst game that I've seen this year was on Halloween uh, against Michigan State and and just having your corners clearly not play as well as Michigan State's second or or maybe third best wide receiver, Ricky White, you know, and now their second string quarterback um, in East Lansing. I mean, that that game, they played so poorly against a, a a team talent wise that it just should not be that way. So that's the biggest difference is that the scheme that Don Brown runs is not built for the the personnel problems that Michigan has. Now, I, I think that they have put forth a valiant effort. The, the, the conversations about um, Don Brown being too stubborn to change his scheme and, and all of that is, is, is incorrect. People don't know what they're looking at on the screen to be able to declare that because he has, changed a lot to try to fit the personnel that he has but it is still very much dependent on individual one-on-one winning one-on-one battles individually and you could argue that football is almost always you know going to come down to that but especially with uh the the mantra of this defense it means you got to you got to make plays up front one-on-one beat the blocking schemes and get pressure on the quarterback and the guys in coverage have to be able to to win one-on-one battles against the receivers. And this year we just don't see it. And it's being exposed. And uh, I think that mismatch is really, to me, what needs to change. We need to figure out what is going to suit the personnel and the depth or lack of depth that you've got in this defensive depth chart. Um, for the rest of this season and, you know, going into 2021 and find a scheme that fits that personnel. And then also I think uh, it's important to get um, some coaches onto this staff that can kind of coach up uh, individual position groups on the defensive groups to, to improve their play. Um, I think that there's a lot. Um, I, I think right now the players are being undercoached 
because of circumstances that may not be um, in in their control uh, at the building there. So that that's a lot, right? That's that's a lot of word salad on the defensive side, but the the problems are are, are wide and they are deep. So uh, to me, really got to try to keep it duct taped together for the rest of this season. Um, but there's there's got to be a, a full accounting of how. Uh, what's the best strategy going forward defensively for Michigan as a program? The disappointing thing for me, you know, and I always try to keep a happy thought for Michigan football when I'm watching the game. I always think they're going to come back. I always want to see them come back. But I knew in my heart that when Michigan went up and, uh, you know, late in the fourth quarter and Rutgers was going to have to come down and not only score a touchdown but get a two-point conversion – I would have laid money that Rutgers was going to score and get the two-point conversion, and they did. And it's uh, it, it's it was really a sickening, you know, feeling in my stomach that, um, you know, thankfully, at least you know Michigan was able to go to overtime and, and prevail, thanks to a missed field goal, which uh, you know I I think, you know we'd we'd be remiss in not talking about that. Michigan really dodged a bullet in overtime, right? Um, as great as Giles Jackson was throughout the game, you know, in the return game, um, Quinn Nordine is is not getting it done right now uh, as a field goal kicker. And you know, you can you can say, well, you know, he was 0 for three. He missed one from 49 and missed one from 43. Those are those are long. Okay, you can you can make an excuse for that, but. To the one that he missed in in overtime, you know, a 35 yarder, you got to make that right. And uh, but for the grace of Rutgers missing their field goal, um, we're we're much more down today, and we're having a drastically different our our conversation is having a drastically different tone if uh, if Rutgers makes that field goal in in the overtime and and, and wins right. So. So again, uh, the field goal kicking needs to be addressed. Um, and again, my, my the thing that bothers me in my gut is that I had no, I I didn't think there was a high degree of, of likelihood that the defense was going to be able to come up with a stop um, when they needed to on that last drive. So now I, I give them credit; they came up in the second and third overtime, right? Um, you know, they they did what they needed to do to to win close out that third overtime that's great but again uh i just i i i think uh i would hope by this point um you know we've seen the offense kind of pull some some players in and, and find some performers find some playmakers hopefully uh the same can happen on the defense um you know there's a lot of criticism le- leveled at this team but um, when you think about how many of the starting 11 on each side are gone either to injury or, uh, like you mentioned with Amber Thomas, not being part of the team. Um, the other thing that, that I wanted to mention about the offense is, you know, things we knew coming in, right, you know, new in air quotes. Well, we were going to have to – we were worried about who, you know, how the receivers were going to turn out. Well, we're okay on the receiving end, right? There was – you know, um, both Cade and Joe Milton have uh, had pretty good luck distributing the ball. Um, the big difference in this game was finally being able to run. 
And I think, you know, we talked about last week, uh, you know, what we wanted to see and what we what we wanted to see and what needed to happen was Michigan being able to run the ball. They were able to run for 148, and I think that that is the uh, the best bellwether that hopefully we're going to continue to have some good things to talk about uh, after the next couple games because, um, you know, I think back to last week where they had one rushing yard, uh, you know, into the second quarter. That's that's not going to get it done in the Big Ten, and, and uh, definitely uh, it was nice to see. And, again, I know people are screaming out there, but it's just Rutgers. Yeah, but, you know, you you – you got to beat Rutgers before you can go and play the next game. And, uh, you know, give Michigan credit. They found a way to, to win in triple overtime. Can't exactly say it was a hostile environment with nobody being there, but um, or very few fans being there. But still, um, you know, you got to give the, the team credit for, for a win in triple overtime. Yeah, if nothing else, uh, you know, you and I as, as fans, um, the players, the coaches, you know, anybody that has a rooting interest in uh, in in this team this season, I, I don't know how you could turn your nose up at any victory after after what we've seen. You know, the the play and the the general tenor of the last few games, those three losses, um, an ugly win. We'll always take an ugly win, but this season especially. I mean, I, I don't know how you I don't know how you can look a gift horse in the mouth. This week, you know, um, you went, you know, Har- Harbaugh likes to break it down by week and say we want them to be one and zero this week, and, and they accomplished that. And hopefully, they can continue to build on the positives, uh, correct some of the negatives, and, and um, you know, roll forward and, and win another game in November and, and beat beat Penn State this coming week. Well, and. In our next podcast, we will preview that Penn State game. Penn State is also having uh, an abysmal season. so. But that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!